You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Uh, Tonight, you've got Paul and Andrew, and we are fresh off of our trip down south. Descendant Slam, Paul... Are you, are, are you recovered yet? What a good one. What a damn good weekend, man. Good event, good music. Well, Archery shoot was fun. I had a blast. Yeah, I want to I wanna dive deep into that because it was, it was it pretty. Was, oh, man, it was it was cool. It Go was, Wild Send It Slam. We've been talking about it for weeks. We got to experience it. Those guys, those folks on the Go Wild crew, elite. They, elite know, they know how to throw a party. People. They do. You're damn they do. right they do. So let's, let's dive into that right now. The... Uh, so yes, if if you weren't um, paying attention to us in the last, I don't know how many weeks, but and that's completely possible. Uh, we've been talking about the Go Wild Send It Slam, and that was the event down in Louisville that our friends at Go Wild put on, and it started. So Paul and I went down. We took the families. Uh, it was what did we do? We went down Friday afternoon. Got down there. Got settled. Uh, got up Saturday morning. Went to the archery shoot, so they had a 3D course. What was it? 20 25 targets. Five targets. Um, rain from the moment we got there. It was like uh, 3D archery in a rainforest. It was pretty cool. Pacific, so Pacific Northwest. We go. We go to. We go to hunt or uh, to warm up, and we met the ultimate hunting douche. I don't know this guy's name. We're gonna call him William. William, if everyone wants to know, warms up at 100 yards. Yes, he does. That's where he and warms up. Warms up starts. at 100 yards. Yeah, and starts. That's where he starts. So this guy would not shut up about himself. I mean, to the point where I was just like, I'm I'm done. I, I slung like five arrows. And I'm like, I'm out. We I were all done. Yo, we could, yeah, there were five of us there. We couldn't listen to this guy talk anymore. And then the funniest part, well, not funniest part, was we were about halfway through the course, and we, we looked behind us. Bitch. You gotta be kidding me! Because yeah. guess who was behind us? William. William. William, the hunting douche. Oh my god! <laughs> Old and, Bill. And he—he's so like for those of you that golf, like there's always that one guy when you golf that's like, oh, you know, adjust your grip, adjust your feet, your back. Shut, shut up! You're pissing me off. You are making me worse at golf. That's how he was. He tried to—he tried to like correct all of us, and I was just like, listen, man, like 
I'm not. I don't care what you have to say. I'm and, a shitty bow hunter. I'm a shitty archer. Leave me alone. And You're I, not going to change anything. I'm not. I'm not saying what he wasn't telling us the truth on stuff. He might. He might. Man, good for you if you warm up in a hundred yards or you pull out your forty-six dollar rangefinder. You got an Amazon that has fog mode that you push a button and all of a sudden vapor goes, goes clear. Vaporizes the fog. Yes. Vaporizes. So that as I'm sitting here struggling with the stupid. Anyways, uh, <laughs> the best part though had to have been when we got to the very end and. Uh, uh, was it Jacob or whoever was running the thing? Like, so uh, how many bullseyes did you get? Or did you get any bullseyes? We had like four in our group. In the group. O- over, 20, over 25 holes. Four. Right. We had four and, bullseyes. And we are not William. Okay. No. But he's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, let's see. Uh, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine. I haven't got to the back ones yet. I'm like. I just walked away. I'm like, I cannot listen to this guy talk Bro, anymore. You, uh, you shot by yourself, so why don't you just tell him you had 25 bullseyes? Like, <laughs> anyways. Every one of them. But let's let's talk about that, Paul. Uh-oh. Let's talk about the one that really mattered, okay? Which, which one was that? The one across the water. 130. I ranged it at, like, 134. So it was all over. So it was, we'll just say 130 yards. So did you pull out your 134 pin? Is that how you I did it? Yeah, I pulled out. Well, because I've been warming up at 100 all morning. So <laughs> I was pretty pretty confident in my accurate reading there. But the cross wind, the pond. Crosswind. Yeah, the crosswind. It was like six wind. and a half miles an hour. Yep. And there was like, what's the the, the, the Coriolis effect or whatever? Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, had I had all that. I had the. Um, Out of the earth's flat, there's no Coriolis. No, yeah. I had the, <laughs> I had the humidity and Inside the barometric. Joke. I had all these. I had all these ratings which none of that is true i just uh i put my pen my 60 yard pen which i i have sighted in i put it on the elk and i raised it up to like i don't know above the trees that's the the moon drilled it first shot it was unbelievable so we walk up to this bullseye well not really a bullseye but pretty damn close they had an elk a bedded elk uh, about 130 yards across the pond. Full size, yeah. Full, full size, size 3D target. And I don't know. what We walked up. We were one of the light, later groups, and they had said yeah. there was only like three guys. That hit, no, no, no. There was one other guy before us, and two guys from our group. There were three total for the entire day that hit the 10, the ten ring. Okay, inside the 10 ring. Yep. Now, you walk up, very first shot, stick the damn 10 uh, ring. Drilled it. Everybody, I'm aware, Of course, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Paul, are you you've been a ringer this whole time telling us <laughs> you're the world's worst bow hunter and here you go like I had a good day. You had a great day. I, I had was, a good day. I was impressed, man. But so the the second shot 40 yards short plunked right in the water. Right in the water. And everyone you know, like the, the 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 bow hunting league guys were shocked. They're like, "Where were you aiming?" Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, "I don't know, man. I I totally panicked." So I was trying to remember where I was aiming on my first shot. Didn't even get close. The third shot cuz you got three. The third one I put uh, it hit the you could hear it hit brush like right in front of the elk and then it just kind of like landed right in the water but it was cool good event yeah and then uh old cousin vince he hit the ass of the elk and cousin Vinny hit the elk yep jay rush hit the 10 ring justin so. shot was close yeah. to yeah. the bullseye he almost drilled it i mean he his his shot was closer than mine when i was looking at the picture on that i mean you guys were inches away from yeah him. it was in, unbelievable yep and uh let's see what i put Two for sure in the water, maybe one in the bank, and they yeah, sank. one for sure in the bank. They sank right to the bottom. So yeah, it turns out that uh, high FOCs went. <laughs> the the heavier arrows did not do too well with the uh, long. I am, I had no desire to shoot my serious arrows into the. I I didn't want to lose them. I just got them. I'm still trying. So I I, yeah, I used the uh, the non adult arrows, but uh, they did me good. They did me well. So you know what? For something like that, you're flying flat and 
you know, straight and fast. Yeah. That doesn't. So yeah, shame there. But what happens, Paul? What happened later in the day that we found out because you hit that elk? Uh, I won a bear archery bow of my choice. So Paul's trip was completely paid for <laughs> when, when they called his name. And I don't think your wife realized it. I was like, Ashley, he, that's probably like a thousand dollar bow. But. Yeah. The, I, yeah. Cause I, I've been, I've been like hinting to her that I'm like, cause the last bow that I bought, I bought it in 2010. So I mean, I mean, this thing's old. I mean, like I, I, I took it to performance archery there in newark had mike look at it and you know he's like when did you buy this but i'm like oh, 2010 he's like yeah that cam technology is from like the mid 90s yeah. so i mean yeah and it's a good bow i mean I've, I've i've had some success with it and it was time like shoot next to you guys like shoot next to you and, and shoot next to vents who have newer bows i mean the, the the sound the performance i mean it was it was painfully obvious that it was time for an upgrade but you know she treated me good one last time so <laughs> I'm hanging up my office. I would, yeah. Paint that some bitch gold or something. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> I should have saved the arrow. Congratulations but to you, my thank friend, you, man. because that is awesome. What was uh, really funny is like four, what four holes before that, I drilled a tree. I was, you know, I was just tired. Yes. I was, I couldn't see. I was sweaty. That guy was pissing me off. William, William, hunting douche. William was it just was under my skin, and he's like, "Oh, it sounds like someone hit a tree." I'm like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this guy." Oh yeah, he was proud out. of you too because you. You hit right square in the middle of the tree. I wanted to hit that guy. When he said <laughs> that. He was dead center of the tree. I'm just like, oh, dear, you motherfucker. Wasn't <laughs> aiming for the tree. But what really makes me mad is he didn't see that shot on the elk. I would have spiked the football. Hey, William, don't you do that, buddy? Yeah, warm up at 100 yards. <laughs> yeah. Good time, though. Hell of an event. Thanks to Go Wild. No, and then we, Thanks to Bear Archery. Appreciate you that, guys. That was the archery part. The, the 3D yeah. was great. Then we got downtown. Jacob and Braden did a hell of a job setting yes. that up. Yeah, Shout so. out to Jacob and Braden because yeah. and really the whole team. Uh, when we got downtown at the amphitheater, they had the concert going uh, at some local uh, beer yeah. distributors. Beers were good. Oh, those were real good. Yeah. Uh, some family-friendly events. Um, shooting bbs and it was cool man it was a fun event we saw the the raisin outdoors gal uh was there letting kids shoot bows and yeah it the, was neat the bb gun thing was funny um i don't know how much you were paying attention i was watching my two kids my daughter is completely calculated she got about two or three shots down range in the same amount of time i think little man had like 25 shots down range he just, just like ripping them and of course he's t he tells everybody he knows what he's doing so he's yeah. like i got one of these at home He's a he hunt, hunting douche in the making right there. He should have been yelling send it the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then he had his lucky fishing hat that he got from the Kentucky DNR. That was cool. That was a cool hat. It had all the uh, all the game fish, native game fish from Kentucky. That was pretty sweet. That was a yeah. cool hat. No, but and I, so for those of you who weren't there, it was raining, okay? It wasn't really supposed to rain. I think the rain was supposed to stop by about 9 a.m. It started at 8.30. It didn't stop and it didn't until stop three about, or four. Yeah, about 4 yeah. o'clock, I think. So to the vendors that stuck around, thank you. Uh, that was great. The kids loved it. We got some cool stuff down there. Oh, my gosh. We got some Danos. Shout out to Danos Seasoning uh, because we got a lot of Danos. Dude, I have enough Danos to, to season an entire cow. Like I, I could I literally say, yeah. like a thousand pound cow. Yeah, we could dry rub that thing pretty good. <laughs> it was good stuff. Though. It was. I actually used it tonight. But um, what else is down there? I mean, I just I can't say enough about the work that Brad and Jacob, Braden, Dan, Derek, Dan, Erica, all those guys, yeah. Zach, Chris. You, they put yeah. on they put a lot of work into that man. A ton of work. And then 
the music itself was local. Oh man, local, yeah. and it was real Kentucky music. It was, yeah. and it was good. That Cole Chaney man, he rocked that. He thing was good. End. Justin Wells was good. Uh, the I, I can't remember her last name, but Abby was good. Yeah. There was there was a guy before the the very Dalton, first musician. Something. Yeah, Dalton. Maybe he was. Um, dude, he killed it. They all did it. They they did a great job. But Cole Chaney. That guy is a freaking star in the making, man. And he is just if you've never listened to his music, YouTube him. I mean, he is he is good. Colt Chaney and the what was it, Wolf Wolfpin Branch. Something like that. Band, those guys were awesome. The music was was incredible. And then um Cole's Cole's got a really unique sound. It was kinda Chris Stapleton, kinda Aaron Lewis and Yeah. No no drums. It was all it was just a string band, which was really, really neat. So yeah, I I enjoyed that. We've got uh Got a lot to look forward to for next year. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, it, that 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 event, Senate Slam. I hope they do it again. It's just going to get bigger and bigger. So yeah. So and really, once they start planning that one out, you guys, I highly suggest. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of out, lot of fun. Speaking of events, August twenty seventh, Vance's in Columbus, tethered teach and train event. That's going to be fun. Tetherednation.com. Still haven't gotten up in it all the way. I mean, I'm like six feet off the ground. I'm working up to it. So yeah, we need to get in that, but. Um, this weekend we got archery hike. Yeah. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday down there in Hocking Hills. Yep. Archeryhike.com. Check it out. There's still some spots available for Friday and Sunday, I believe. There's also a big beer fest going on in Athens. Is that does that start on Friday or does it? I, I think I. You can you can get on Facebook or Google it or something, but there's there's a bunch of like breweries and months is going to figure it out. So I'll just keep talking. But breweries uh distillers whatever there's there's a big event so you can go to archery hike sling some arrows enter to win a matthews bow have some fun head on down south i, I think it wasn't was nelsonville i'm i'm pretty sure that it was uh that it was in athens so i don't know maybe another half hour down uh down 33 you're gonna be in beer heaven so court street it was on court street if i remember so that's for sure athens ohio brew week ohio brew if you've never been on court street in athens buckle up my friend i mean all them crazy college kids aren't there that you know this time of year but oh man court street that is a Holy legendary smokes, place dude it's a nine-day festival of ohio brewing and fermenting oh man yeah i love fermented anything so sign me up yeah sign me up what else we got first light firstlight.com i got the catalyst system that thing's awesome can't wait to get uh they've got some some duck hunting stuff coming out some waterfowl gear oh man i'm ready for it so. yeah i've been kind of holding off talking a whole lot because I'm, i want to get the details on all that stuff and yeah. once it's released and which, i don't know when it's coming they don't tell us so. they said july so i think yeah. well it's july by so the end of july we should have they should have all their stuff released for the year and then we're going to get somebody on to talk about it uncle steve better hurry up and get that duck hunt <laughs> stuff out. you know the only thing that's kind of annoying is i've lost so much weight so i bought that catalyst system and those pants like the they're they're too they're too big because I've lost two pant sizes since I since I ordered those, so I'm, I'm just going to tighten up the uh, <laughs> the suspenders and ride it out the rest of the year. You know, it's always I always said, or my mom always told me, if you had to buy new clothes because you lost weight, that's a good problem. That is that, that so. is a good thing. So, but, um, let's see. Shout out to a couple reviews that we got here. Oh yeah, these are good. I appreciate the reviews. I, Thanks for the love. We asked for it. You guys delivered uh, in hilarious fashion. Thank you so much. If you feel so inclined to give us a review, do so. Apple, Android, Spotify, Podbean, wherever else you listen to. If you if you leave a review, 
hit us up on social media. We'll send you some cool stuff. If you don't care about that stuff, leave a review. These are hilarious. Um, you know, one of my favorite things is when people leave us reviews. I, I love to look at the uh, like the names, yeah, Andrew. I so, know. so what do we what do we got? What's the first? The first one was balls five nine four seven six. I love it. So, and then uh, the, I love it. The man. second that's my one kind of that's my kind of humor right there. The second one I got to read this because it's hilarious from Swanee seventy four, or is it Swanee seventy four? Or Swanee? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fun what show to that? listen to. Mostly bow deer hunting. Their turkey stuff is great too. Oh, and here, here, here it comes. Here's, really, the, here's the funny part. You really need to hear one of them use a diaphragm turkey call. It's the best. Ha ha. <laughs> I showed that to my wife. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I, I did. Great. I did too. She's just like, I, the fact that I'm I gagged on the radio so much, or you know, it's not a radio show. Whatever. That was that was funny. I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. That keep, was good. Keep listening. We appreciate the support. We appreciate the reviews. You know, we're just we're just trying to have fun, man. Have fun, light your day up, learn a little bit. We're gonna kick our deer hunting, deer hunting talk off. First, we're gonna get you a, an update from Nick Moen and his yeah. tournament bass fishing. Yeah, but then we're gonna talk some deer. So, obviously, you know, whitetails in Ohio is a big deal. Uh, we won't be exclusively deer here for the rest of the year, but it's gonna be a big, big portion of it. So, yeah. a lot like the turkey, we got some really good guests lined up. Or you know, we'll. We'll do our deer series. We'll talk about some really, you know, neat strategies, talk to some really successful people. We've got some really big name, really interesting people lined up. I think it's going to be really neat. Months, I'm working on a special guest that you don't know about, and I'm not going to tell you who it is until they sign into the Zoom. Then when you think of deer hunting in this country, this is one of the first people that, that pop up in your mind, anybody's mind. And I'm not telling you. I've been working on this in secret, so. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. Paul, I don't like secrets. I love watching you sweat, man, and get all nervous. You and- know it. You know how I am too, because just like when we were walking through the woods shooting at things, when I've got became a head case and I couldn't hit the broadside of a damn. Bar. So we're we're shooting at this at this turkey, and I, I I like downhill shot angles and all that stuff. I'm too dumb to figure out like angles, but you got that fancy vortex thing you got didn't from matter. Bill Wild. It didn't matter. So I hit the target. This guy puts it underneath underneath the target goes underneath the target and and sticks into a tree and after that you were you were toast after that so i was a bit uh after we had to walk back up that hill that's when i started getting shaky oh man it started with the stupid stabilizer i couldn't get my stabilizer screwed back in and that was driving me crazy but yeah um anywho back to this week's talk so we're talking the deer up in up in the killdeer plains area so like um it the actual details are in the in the discussion Episode. itself, but you know we've got uh, that's the CWD area, that's yeah. the hot zone, that's the area where we're gonna have an early season starts September 10th, and then there's a gun, gun season, season in like mid October, yeah, so. early, yeah. They're trying to take the numbers down, yeah, right? They and are. Then, we talked to um, Bob Ford, Bob Ford, Clint, and then Mike Tonkovich, friend of the program. And then, and then Clint is just one of the biologists uh, that, that does really good work. Three really smart guys. These guys have their finger on the pulse of deer herd management and deer herd health in the state of Ohio. So this is not just Kildare Plains. If you're like, I'm never going to hunt Kildare Plains, I'm not going to listen to it. There's a lot of discussion that is, it translates to, to, to every corner, every county in this state uh, that the DNR does. This is a really good... It's a good. It's a good topic. It's a good conservation topic. It's a good hunting discussion. 
CWD. I mean, what, we didn't talk a ton about that. It was more about like the practice of why we're doing this and, and, and what we're seeing. So it was really, it was a really neat discussion. You guys, I think you guys will enjoy it, but it's a good kickoff to, uh, I think the, the deer talk we've got coming. So, yep. Pretty excited about that. So, um, let's see. I don't think we got anything else. We'll, we'll get into the show, but the, the o2podcast.com is the yeah. website the.o2.podcast on instagram follow us there we've got um go oh go wild it's o2, o2 podcast. podcast or paul campbell don't paul follow andrew Montz. that guy never anything. responds what a jerk uh <laughs> Ohio Hunt is the Twitter. What else, dude? I haven't been on that Twitter. So if you guys are, if if anyone's of the fifty people that follow us on on Twitter, most people like are, add social media accounts, uh, and we're like removing them. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, if you're communicating with me, I'm please forgive me. I'm, I'm not ignoring you. So yeah, I'm just. But, yeah, Elon Musk chased me off. I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh shoot. God. Well, uh, I think if that's all we got, Paul, then we will. We'll talk next week. I think that's it. Send us a review, man. Thanks for the love. Thanks for the support. Have a great weekend. Take care, guys. Hey, guys. I know we said we were going to have Nick Moen on to give us an update on the uh, his fishing bass tournament stuff, but um, I was just working on putting all this together and realized that I forgot to hit the record button with Nick. So next week we will have Nick on to talk. So with that, we'll go right into our discussion with all of the Ohio deer people of importance. So enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 podcast. Today we are joined with our We've got them all, man. We, Paul and I, we, we were able to uh, talk to our buddy, Mr. Tonk, and get us some of the the brightest deer mines in Ohio. Uh, we've got Clint McCoy and Bob Ford, along with Mike Tonkovich from the state of Ohio to join us. How's everybody doing today? Doing well, Andrew. Thanks. Well, Things are well here in Athens. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. So- pleasure to be back yep so mike you've been on, on with us a couple times uh the last time we were on we really recapped the ohio deer season for 21 22 we talked about harvest numbers we talked with we had lindsey thomas from the um national deer association on and then uh we talked a lot about the cwd so as i kind of alluded to there earlier um one of the thing the reason that spurred this idea this call was uh Really? Um, I went up to Kildeer Plains. I'd won that turkey lottery, so I spent three days up there um, in one of the units chasing birds, but obviously being a wildlife uh, refuge area, I don't know what the official designation designation of that area is, but uh, you saw a lot, of, a lot of wildlife, and there was a lot of questions that came up for me, both on the turkey side, but also on the deer side. And that area being kind of a, a hot spot with, with CWD, um, and I'm not going to lie, I mean, I felt like I saw more deer in there than I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so you start, your mind starts wondering, you know, you get massive populations, and then sometimes that's where you end up with disease issues and that kind of stuff. And that's what we'll get into today a little bit um, as a kind of a precursor. But 
I don't know, Clint and, and Bob, do you guys want to give everybody a rundown of exactly what your positions are within the state? Uh, sure. Um, I'll go first. Uh, Clint McCoy. I'm the deer biologist. I work hand in hand with with uh, Tonk to 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 run the run the deer program for the state of Ohio. So me specifically, um, I'd say I'm more if if either one of us are field guys, I guess I'd be more of the field guy. Um, <laughs> kind of in the in the air uh, in the helicopter doing deer counts. Um, you know, analyzing data, harvest data, analyzing survey data, creating surveys, sending them out to our hunters and uh, all those sorts of things. So kind of really anything related to deer is uh, kind of kind of where I fall into place. And I'll go next. So Bob Ford, I'm the wildlife management supervisor for Wildlife District 2, which is the 20 counties in Northwest Ohio, uh, which includes uh, Wyandotte County and Kildare Plains wildlife area. My job is basically to oversee the wildlife management research programs and projects within those 20 counties, uh, oversee things such as public land management um, as, as one of the, the many things, and then also um, collection of data uh, specifically to the deer program, uh, the things that uh, Clint and Tonk need from the field uh, to make uh, informed decisions. Uh, our, my staff uh, are the implementation part of that process where we actually physically go out and do the data collection. So um, so that's kind of been my role here. And then we also oversee the controlled hunts that occur in our district. Very good. So, so Clint, you're kind of over this whole state. Bob, you've kind of got that Northwest portion. Uh, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, in, in a nutshell. In a yeah. nutshell, okay. Um, I guess before we get into kill deer specifically or uh, some of that, do we want to talk a little bit about any updates on the CWD side of things? I think that since, Mike, we talked last, we've come out with um, some updated testing results and some new um, or, or more deer that have tested positive. I think, when was the last time we talked to you? I think it was about February. It was right after the season had ended, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't recall exactly, Andrew, but yeah, we uh, we certainly can go over that. Um, let me uh, see what I've got committed to memory. So so we ended up with nine total positives this year. Um, eight of those were, were collected uh, during uh, surveillance, during, during the hunting season. And then we had a uh, uh, we had four nights of, of uh, post hunt um, uh, removals uh, conducted by uh, USDA Wildlife Services. Uh, they removed 180 deer, and we ended up with an additional adult female that was positive. So so that brought our total uh, nine positives out of almost 1,300 deer uh, sampled this year. So add that you know of course, and then we ended up we don't need to review history but we had two last year so so we're sitting at uh sitting at nine this year two last year were those across the entire state or is that just in that uh that was just within the disease surveillance area yeah we tested almost 4400 deer across the entire state and that would have been all but about 24 22 counties somewhere in that vicinity but there were 22 counties i think 22 uh 
this is where Clint always helps me out remember things, 22 or 24 counties that we did not sample. Uh, and it may have even been 26, I don't recall, Andrew, but uh, that 4,300, almost 4,400 would have been statewide. The 1,100 or almost 1,300 total. Like it was like 1,108, I think. And then we added another 180. So rounding up, we were just sitting shy of 1,300 deer in that um, disease surveillance area. Yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna hold, hold you accountable if you're off by a couple there, Mike. So we'll be all okay. right. Uh, now, are those voluntary tests or were these uh, state kind of required type of tests that you guys were doing? It was a combination. Yeah, it would have been a combination. So, so we had two weekends in November, uh, what we deemed to be, uh, you know, uh, peak uh, bow weekends in, in early November uh, that were mandatory testing. And then we had the, uh, the seven day gun season that was mandatory testing. Um, so a total of 11 days where hunters were required to submit their deer for testing. And then outside of that, we would have collected uh, any number of other sources, such as um, um, voluntary hunter submissions. They could have submitted samples in any number of self-serve kiosks, starting at the, uh, you know, nearly the start of the season um, through through the end of the season. We had controlled hunts in there on the on their on Kildare Plains uh, Refuge. Um, we would have drawn samples from from taxidermists for those three counties, uh, or or from the. Um, uh, of course, the problem with taxidermists, Andrew, let me clarify that, is that because only portions of Hardin and Marion counties were in there, we couldn't assign, generally assign uh, a Marion or Hardin County taxidermist sample to the DSA. It would have been just assigned to the county because we would have had no idea in, in many cases. Now, there were some cases where we could have put it in a township and put it in the DSA if the records were complete. But uh, uh, but of course, Wyandotte County, any any deer that was harvested in Wyandotte County, since the entire county was in the DSA, those taxidermist samples, those processor samples, those road kills and suspects that should have captured just about all sources of uh, those samples. Pretty typical, I might say, for most states. I mean, that's, you know, you get a collection of, of a myriad of different uh, sample sources. Gotcha. So, I mean, nine positives is not good. But out of 1,300, is that, I mean, we try to look at the bright side of things. I feel like, I, I hear numbers from Wisconsin, which obviously that's really bad, where you're getting 6 out of 10 uh, bucks off of a farm that are testing positive and stuff. So 9 out of 1,300 sounds like we're in a better spot. Well, yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it, uh, Andrew. And of course, Bob and Clint, both you guys can chip in at any time. But but um, I, I think the more important question is, yeah, it's, that's incredibly low. That's less than 1% across the entire disease surveillance area, right, uh, amongst adults. But then then the question becomes, okay, so that's not so bad. But what does the, you know, when we start talking about the future, it, it's it's the start of something, unfortunately. I, I you know, we, we haven't declared uh, CWD uh, victorious by any stretch of the imagination yet, but but uh, another year to it most, and, and I think we'll know for sure what we're dealing with. Um, but nine, so, so the question, of course, Andrew, that, that um, late in the game, as we prepared for these, um, uh, these, these two open houses last week in Marion and Wyandotte counties, one of the things that occurred to me is someone's gonna ask, you know, what are the odds that you may have collected all nine positives out there in a population, in that population across the disease surveillance area? And the, the answer is effectively zero. Um, and, and to put things in maybe uh, a little bit of perspective for you, um, another way of looking at that is we had to, in order to answer that question, you had to, you had to come up with even, even though it was just a ballpark, 
Well, estimate, we had, we had to generate a population estimate for that DSA. Um, and, 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 and again, rather large confidence intervals around this, but we, we settled on about 8,000 deer. So, so the question of course is, you know, what are the odds if there were only nine positives and, and you scooped 1,200 out of there that you would get all nine positives? Uh, one of my uh, good friends from Minnesota put it this way. He said, well, Mike, you'd have a 50% chance of doing that um, provided, now this is just a 50% chance of collecting all nine positives, provided that you removed 7,804 of those 8,000 deer. So the reality is, um, while that's an incredibly low prevalence rate, um, it means most likely will mean work ahead for us. Bob, when you're up there in that part of the, the state, what's the uh, what's the feeling on the ground from your, your hunters and stuff? Are they willing to help out and, and help you guys with collecting, or is it something that it's getting a little bit pushback? Uh, I think that there's a mixed bag, um, so to speak. We have a, a tremendous number of, of folks in our area that are genuinely interested and um you know, are, are happy to, to assist us. Um, and, and, you know, we've taken advantage of, of that and their, their efforts. Um, it's because of their efforts that uh, we know what we know. And we're genuinely thankful for their participation, um, regardless of, you know, when things are mandatory or voluntary. We've had a tremendous um, um participation um but obviously you know the more that we get the the better informed we'll be um so so yeah i think generally speaking we've 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 had a good response um there are some individuals who you know obviously uh, may not um align with our thought process uh but generally speaking you know it's a matter of communication and um uh, working together so and as we move forward we'll figure out how to to do that just recapping on the process for the the testing and stuff so i shoot a, a monster buck i'm super excited i got my my grip and grins i've i've showed all my you know friends and everything put it on all my social media but i want to eat it right so but i want to get it tested first what what's the process look like just for for people uh you know really across the state in general I mean, you can take it to your kiosk and stuff, but then do you take it to the harvest or the processor? Do you start processing it yourself? Do you just put it in the freezer and wait? And what kind of timeline do you have on that? Well, Bob, you want to I guess take that? yeah, I, I can take that. So I guess, you know, that there's a whole lot of questions in there <laughs> and uh, I'll, uh, I'll try and break it down as best as I can. So if you are hunting in the disease surveillance area and you have the opportunity to harvest uh, something that you would like to have mounted and put on the wall, um, you know, there's a couple things to consider. Number one is carcass regulations. So, uh, uh, you know, as far as understanding, you know, what those regulations are before you can move it move that carcass out of the disease surveillance area. So, um, you know, the rule is right now, you cannot move high-risk parts out of that disease surveillance area, uh, which include, you know, 
the spinal column, the brain, things of that nature, um, unless it goes to a certified, CWD certified taxidermist and or processor. So that's, that's one part of this. The second thing is, as far as getting the deer sampled, if, uh, if you take that deer to a collection station, inspection station, or a kiosk, the first thing that, one of the first things you're going to come to understand is if you bring it to a kiosk, there's instructions that say, do not leave <laughs> the head here. Um, the last thing that the Division of Wildlife wants to do is to mess up anybody's uh, mouth. So if, so leaving it at a kiosk is not an option um, because obviously, you know, it, it would be hard to not only return the head back to the individual, but um, it would just, there's no option there to get it mounted, um, you know, moving forward. The other thing is, is that if the hunter um, arrives at one of the inspection stations during the mandatory um, period, first thing we're going to do is ask, hey, are you planning to get this deer mounted? And if the hunter says yes uh, or is unsure, we will not do any cutting on that, that head. Um, we're hoping that that head will go to a taxidermist that we can work with to pull the tissue sample. Uh, but again, any if, if you were to take that deer head outside of that disease surveillance area, um, it would definitely, per the carcass regulations, have to go to a CWD certified taxidermist, um, regardless of if they were participating in our uh, sampling or not. So, uh, but we're gonna try and work with all the taxidermists and processors moving forward and um, try and figure out a good way to get that uh, tissue sample. Um, as far as getting the results in relation to processing, uh, you know, if you plan to consume that, um, that deer, um, you know, we are pursuing avenues to expedite um, the time it takes to get test results back, but you know, inevitably, especially when you're trying, as a hunter, trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this? It, you know, it is a, it could be an extended period of time, um, and not everybody has the capacity to, you know, debone uh, a deer carcass and hold that meat until the test results get back before they take it to a processor or do whatever they're going to do with it. Uh, but uh, basically, essentially, we just, you know, um, would recommend if, if you cannot hold that meat uh, before you get your test results back to basically, uh, once you take it to a processor and you, you know, the processor is, uh, provides you that final product, you know, hold it um, until the test results are, are um, obtained. Um, again, you know, that is one of the things that we've heard a lot from a lot of different hunters is the time that it takes is a concern. And, you know, we'll do what we can to expedite that as much as possible. But we, um, unfortunately, we can't results uh, around in a couple of days. I wish we could. Not reality at this point. Right. Does I hope that 
Yeah, no, that's yeah. good. That's good. Um, does the state have like on the website or somewhere uh, a list of your CWD certified processors? Yes, um, there on our website um, there there is uh, a list of all of those certified facilities that hunters can reference. Are those statewide, or is it just in that uh, DSA zone? They're statewide. Uh, okay, good. I was just thinking if you were to, okay. Hey, Andrew. Yeah. This talk here, I, I just thought maybe I'd see if I can add a little mud to the water, actually hopefully clear things up just a little bit, because it is a little murky, and, and, and it, it's important. I think um, we had we had a couple opportunities to, to uh, answer these questions last week, so um, let, let me add a couple things to, to this conversation Absolutely. Uh, that, that may or may not help. Um, and and really just to clarify bob did a wonderful job explaining what your options are but but i, I just want to make sure folks um uh, understand that that there are a couple different types of taxidermists out there if you will that the certified um processors and <clears throat> taxidermists are just folks that have that have agreed to watch a uh, you know a 20-minute presentation uh and get behind our efforts to to control the spread of, of cwd through proper disposal of carcasses and waste and so on and so forth so some of those um, some of those processors and taxidermists um, may be participating with us. Um, uh, that is that is probably the let's just say that's probably the larger of the two groups because I think we participated with about fifty six different taxidermists this past year um, that pulled samples for us. Some of those some of those taxidermists have been working for us for four or five years, maybe just a touch longer in some cases. So that's another group. So there, so maybe a subset of the of the certified. I, I don't know how best to characterize this, but but there are certified taxidermists that may or may not pull samples for us. They could probably figure if they don't. In other words, we we have a I wouldn't call it a contract, but we have an arrangement with them. They they may collect 30, 40, or even just as you know as few as 12 samples for us uh, a season. Um, and, and some of these folks that, that have been pulling samples for us, unfortunately, are not certified. So, so it's important for folks to understand taking your deer to a taxidermist that is pulling samples for the Division of Wildlife may not necessarily be the same as take, meeting your obligation to taking your deer to a taxidermist that is certified. Okay, I, I hope that's clear. There are two types of folks out there. So it's important that, that folks understand, ideally, we would get, you know, all of those taxidermists that are working for us certified, but it's unlikely that we'll get the certified taxidermist um, to all pull samples for us. It's just, you know, too busy, not 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 interested, um, whatever the case may be. So, I just want to make that distinction. And and finally, for your for your situation, you got a trophy buck. You absolutely, positively don't want it, don't want anyone cutting on. You go to a taxidermist that's not working for us. He's certified. Um, but he's not pulling samples for us. Um, it, at the end of the day, if if you really were interested in knowing, you could you could request, you know, the uh, the, the carcass from him, get it to you know one of our call our district office. We'd find a way to either either a coach you through cutting the samples out. We have videos available. There's several online that will show you. It's it's a pretty simple process, or you could potentially get it. Um, uh, to one of our district offices, one of our work units, um, 
we're going to do what we can to get your deer tested if it's if it's that important to you. Um, it's just that the, the obviously the bucks that are going to be mounted, as you would imagine, create some create a few speed bumps for us, but they're not insurmountable. So this is just the bio or the you know kind of scientific side of my brain working. Um, I haven't used it in a while, but the uh, when you, the way I understand this disease, you know, it's the the prion or prion that is causing the issue. Is there any concern? With people pulling samples and spreading this more than they they would if they had just left it in place? I mean, because whatever I've seen that, you know, that prion can last in the soil forever. It can last, you know, it could be heated up to, whatever, 1,400 degrees and not die and that kind of stuff. And if we're just, like, pulling samples and then tossing, you know, knives around, put it in the dishwasher, whatever, like, that, uh, is that something that, is of a concern at all or is this treated like a hazmat in a doctor's office type of thing well you know i'm going to let others jump in but but i'll start the conversation i'll start the answer and and um andrew that's that's certainly a great question it's it's a question that is debated and and we are debating currently um and and i'll i'll take it down to let's let's go back to the killer plains uh refuge you know does it does it make sense to leave roadkill deer, for instance, on the side of the highway uh, that may potentially be positive or anywhere else in the state for that matter. Now, obviously we don't know that they're, uh, that they're, they're positive unless we, unless we pull them and test them. But, um, you know, they're, they're, I think some will argue that it makes sense to remove them from the landscape because they're, you know, they're a potential source for uh, future infections. You've got scavengers, you've got crows, you've got coyotes, you know, potentially moving prions uh, across the landscape um, as opposed to um, as opposed to loading those up, if, if you've ever watched, um, you know, a, a highway maintenance worker load a deer with a come along into the back of a, uh, a pickup and drive off with perhaps that wonderful goo that's coming out the back, you know, for the next, you know, 400 yards, um, you know, wh- which is which is the best approach? And, and so I, I don't know that we all on this call would agree, you know, what the best approach is, especially when you've got the disease established, you know, does it make sense to leave it lay? Um, you know, and of course, then there's the the question that comes up sort of tangentially when you have this conversation is, all right, so I'm a landowner in the DSA. Why do I need to bag my, my, my deer um, um, rather and, 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 and set it out for trash pickup rather than taking it back? And I think that's an apples and orange question for sure. It's, you know, it's, that's, that's why would you take a deer from the field process it in your pole barn and knowingly take the waste back out and dump it on the landscape unless that was your only option if you didn't have trash pickup yeah let's bury it then rather than putting it back on the back 40 but to leave a deer lay uh, along the roadside undisturbed i think that's a that's a totally separate issue but you know as far as hunters processing uh and and concern there you know we recommend uh you know a, a, a bleach solution for cleaning utensils i think you know, once you get that deer um, home and you're work on, working on it yourself, I think there's opportunities you know, to be careful and, 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 and clean. And obviously there's, you know, there's no way of knowing whether you've, you've you know, what, how big of a prion load you're dealing with. Um, lots, of, lots of unanswered questions, but I'd, I'd say probably the, um, the poster child with, if you will, for, you know, this debate about you know, spreading the disease really comes down to, you know, moving deer 
on the landscape that that uh, may or may not be positive in a zone that you know we know we've got CWD. But I'm rambling now, so I'm going to ask Clint or Bob to to fill in if if there's if there's uh, other things to be mentioned that I'm overlooking. Yeah, I I don't know that that I have much else to add. Um, Andrew, would you have any follow-up questions to anything that Tonk mentioned there? No. I mean, I think the way I look at it, and I, our listeners know, I'm kind of a natural skeptic. And it's not that I don't buy into CWD at all. Don't take it that way. But, man, it's it's biology. There's so much going on, right? And and we hear stories about deer, you know, a buck that traveled, uh, you know, 180 miles during the rut. And, like, he could move it. And then you've got... The, the all the and I don't know how much of it's just misinformation or not knowing I think one of the things that my, we talked about before talk like we're learning about a lot of this there's a lot of research going on and, and how to take care of this stuff and it's um you know maybe apples or not apples apples but it's very comparable to other issues going on in the world uh that maybe humans are, are dealing with but like h- how we can all work together and you know to protect the deer population by doing stuff that's basically common sense and, and, and just making sure that when you do process your deer, you're taking some of these considerations in the, in the, the back of your mind and, and trying to help where you can, even though it, it may, may help, may not. Um, it's, it's, you know, everybody doing their, their kind of part. Right. So. Yeah. And, and I think it's just erring on the side of caution in a lot of cases, just because we don't truly know, you know, the full impact. Uh, in a lot of these, you know, a lot of these scenarios. So, you know, as, as a state agency, it, it is our job to, to err on the side of caution, if that makes any sense to you, that, that, um, you know, we just ask our hunters to, in your case, with pulling samples or, or what to do with your carcass, just, you know, it's in the best interest of everyone to err on the side of caution and dispose of of that of that carcass or that waste properly um again just because there are still so many you know several unanswered questions with regards to to prions and how they how they move and how how long they stay active and where they stay active and what they bind to and all those sorts of things yep paul do you have any yeah, i think I... oh go ahead mike oh, i'm sorry no I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just follow up with that because I think that's a great point and, and a great segue into something that we have done uh, and will do our entire careers, and that's strike a balance. And, and that, in this case, that balance is between erring on the side of caution, but not so far that, that we push you guys to the curb and you decide, you know what, that's a little too much caution for me. Um, you know, when you start taking away things that make hunting what you've uh, come to call hunting, you know, whether it's baiting and feeding, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, urine, natural-based urines, um, carcass restrictions, you know, we, we've got to be mindful of that as well. So, so we're, we're continuing, continually uh, checking, erring on the side of caution with um, how do we make sure that we don't make uh, this so difficult and so uh, unenjoyable that we lose you guys. So, so that's, that's the other thing that state agencies are constantly doing is, is balancing that, um, you know, the odds of losing you because we're making things too restrictive or too demanding or too many, you know, you, you can't even understand the rules. So you decide it enough enough, as opposed to, you know, throwing all caution to the wind on the other side. We're trying to find that middle ground. You know, talk, I think the first time we talked, we, we, we spoke about 
what you guys do at the state with that balancing act of wildlife biology and and realistically people's feelings um and that's that's a tightrope that i didn't realize that that you guys walked every day and I, I i found that one fascinating uh and two i'm sure that is really frustrating at times so so <laughs> andrew if, if 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 you mind i'd like to i like and, and and you guys on this call i'd like to jump into the the rule changes that the the wildlife council approved earlier this year specifically in that deer sur surveillance area that three was it three counties uh hardin marion and wyandotte county so and, and Tonk, you just talked about kind of, you know, limiting opportunities for hunters. We've got deer archery season up there, September 10th, February 5th. That's brand new. Um, the early deer gun, October 8th to October 10th. And then uh, everything else fall, falls in line. Youth deer, deer gun, deer muzzleloader uh, throughout the state in those zones. So we've got two two new seasons, early gun, early archery. What's, what's the one why... Um, were, were those those two you know deer gun early early archery why, why did we choose those and and two what's what's kind of the goal of those extended seasons if you will yes so Paul, um i'll start out and again i'm happy to have others uh, chip in here um clint and i were working um collaboratively collaboratively on these um the um um the idea there, guys, is, you know, I, I to take this down to a level that that because um, some days my science brain doesn't work either. Um, but to take this down to a level that I think we all can get our head wrapped around, we're dealing with the deer disease. Um, and so obviously we're not going to eliminate the deer as a, as a means to eliminate the disease. But but if we can um, uh, buy some time, if you will, um, by reducing um, the deer population to the point where uh, two things happen. Number one, uh, positives are, are potentially removed, um, if not um, at least interact with fewer deer. Um, and, and number two, um, fewer deer on the landscape would, would also, uh, we believe, contribute to um, lower likelihood. There's still going to be deer that are going to be dispersing out of the area, but, but um, the bigger picture is let's, let's just think about this as, you know, if we're going to manage a disease, we need to manage the deer population. And I think Andrew, you started this conversation um, mentioning your experience there at the Kilder Plains uh, refuge, you know, the number of deer that you saw. So we certainly have a deer population issue that we have really done a good job of addressing, but need to continue to address. And I will say this, uh, make no mistake, uh, we certainly have to work with landowners and get them on board because there are properties in that in the vicinity, uh, you know, within a stone's throw of the refuge that are um, really, uh, they need to join us in our efforts to reduce local deer numbers there for sure. Uh, so, so we've, we've, um, we've, we've thought that um, the seasons, the additional opportunities um, would help us uh, to that, uh, to, to meet that end goal of, of, of lowering deer populations. Now, the idea there is, is even if, and I think we've all, you know, we all realize this, we've, we've probably talked about it once before, you know, there's a finite number of deer hunters are going to kill. Um, and, and, and we recognize that. Um, 
at least right now, until until there are some substantive changes that we can make and hunter attitudes towards towards deer and, and they have more vacation time, whatever, um, there's there's going to be a finite number of deer that, that I think hunters are, are willing to take each year. So that said, even if, even if um, you know, so then you ask the question, well, why bother with, you know, messing up the system and adding a couple additional seasons? I think the answer there is that earlier, all else being equal, even if we harvested the same number of deer guys, uh, earlier is better than later. Um, if we can prevent those deer from dispersing, if we can remove a few extra bucks before they, um, uh, you know, Andrew, you mentioned, take off for that 180 mile trek um, around the uh, around the county or associated counties, adjacent counties, um, then we're going to be better, you know, that much better off. Yeah, at the end of the season, we may harvest the same number of deer, but but at, again, all else being equal, removing those deer before they can disperse, before they can deposit, the positive deer can continue to deposit prions and, and, and infect other deer, um, the better off we are going to be. So, so that's, that's really the rationale is, is that if we're going to manage a deer disease, we've got to manage the deer population. And, and the hope is not to reduce, clearly we're not, we're not taking the deer population down to a level that, um, you know, folks have never seen before, but, but we'd like to reduce deer populations um, knowing that in turn, that should um, eliminate um, a few dispersers, maybe a few positives. Um, and, and, and ultimately, again, you've talked about some, you know, we've talked about some success stories before um, in different states. Um, and I mentioned that the reality is it's probably here to stay, but we don't have to walk away from it um, and throw our hands up in the air. You know, we can, we're, we're still in a position um, if we can eliminate it, we can certainly keep it low for as long as we'd like to make that investment. So will the USDA be involved still in harvesting deer in those three counties, or is that just to kind of like that, that initial big testing push that you guys did? Well, that's to be decided yet. I th I'd, I'd like to, you know, long range planning. Um, if we're not going to do that, we can probably expect um, to follow in the footsteps of most every other state that has not, and that is, you know, continue expansion and, and increase in prevalence. So one of the, one of the things that, that I've heard at wildlife council meetings uh, with the public and just, and just general conversations with people is, is there's this perception that the, the state's goal, the USDA's goal uh, is zero deer. So let's wipe the deer herd population out in these CWD hot zones and then, and then hit the reset button and start over. So that's not, that's not the goal, right? Yeah, absolutely not. You Paul, know, that, take that, your tinfoil hat off. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm not a deer hunter, so I'm just repeating what. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, that's not, that's not what they want to do. And it's, I think yeah. it's important to hear you say, the, the people that are literally in charge of the deer herd population in the state, that's not our goal. Our goal is to not wipe out the deer population and start over. So I think that's important. Well, that's it. You know what? I, I, I'm going to take those words right out of your mouth there and, and, and repeat it for the group. Um, the, the group that, you know, we're, we're talking to the people that are literally in charge of the deer population. The reality is we're not. Um, we set season frameworks. That's all that we do. It's, it's, up to, it's up to folks like Andrew and the landowners in the DSA and the hunters in the DSA to buy into that season framework and pull the trigger or release the arrow. We do not control, make no mistake, we set the seasons, we set the bag limits, we Fair encourage, enough. we educate, right? I mean, but but at the end of the day, this is private property. So all that we can do uh, is, is hope that we can communicate um, uh, our, our goals 
and our intentions uh, to the hunting public, to the landowners. And, and I tell you, Bob, I, I got to put a plug in for Bob because clearly he nailed down 15, 000, over 15,000 acres for us to get access to. Um, and, and so great job, Bob. It probably helps that he lives in the neighborhood. He's just a great looking guy, goes to church with these folks. And so he's able to get permission. And, and so that's, that's what we're talking about in terms of conveying to the people that actually do manage the deer population that, hey, we've got the best of intentions here. We'd like for you to, to, to allow us you know, to, uh, to, to implement these plans. And we we got the support. Now we need to work on you know a few more hunters, and 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 I think that's uh, you know that's where moving forward that's what where we're going to be is is focusing on developing that that continued develop that communication plan, that dialogue, um, and get those get those landowners who control access to the property and control access to some of those very very large deer populations on board with us. So, will there be more permits issued to landowners? in those in the dsa private landowners to harvest yeah. you know does or so we're, we're actually talking about that right now as a matter of fact and it's it's certainly not too soon to be thinking about the fall of 22 because it's going to be right around the corner unfortunately but but um you know one of one of the things um that we have to do is you know we have to step through it's an iterative process unfortunately we know where we'd like to be but but we have to take probably four or five turns rather than a direct route because that's just the nature of the business so we, we need to get folks we need to build buy-in we need consent and we need folks to understand um, for instance um, many hunters want to do the job that the USDA wildlife services did could you imagine hunters shooting 180 deer in four nights add the hours up I mean it's that's just not but hunters do have a very important role and I need to remind folks of that you know they were the ones hunter in, in, in 2020 got us onto this situation, right? With their hunter harvested deer submitted to a taxidermist that's cooperating with us. So hunters have a vital role in this, but they also need to understand that they, we were there to kill deer, not to hunt deer uh, with that postseason removal. And so, I mean, this, is, this, this comes back to our ability to effectively and repeatedly communicate um, what our end game is, you know, what our goals are. And it's not zero deer. I mean, that's that absolutely positively, make no mistake that that's not it uh, for sure. You know, we 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 need to. And I've said this, you know, Tuesday and Thursday of last week, countless times. It comes down to what the hunters in the area and the landowners are willing to support. We can make no decisions on private property without their permission. So it, it, it really is. It's about the job that we have is not killing deer, but communicating folks what are what what we'd like to see happen and lay out for them the options that are before us. I'm going to just make a connection. I hope that, that you guys have already done this, but your, your, your counterpart, uh, Dave Kohler running the OLAP property might be something there. Open up access in those yeah, areas. Absolutely. I mean, if you, yeah. Bob, if you found 15,000 acres to get, to get access to, to, you know, to, to do your work, to do your research, you know, that might, might make sense. I'd go up there. I have no problems going up there at all. So, months. What else you got? Well, just as we fo uh, wind this down, I, I want to take a few minutes and Bob just to focus on Kildeer Plains uh, wildlife area, sp kind of specifically. Um, so, for those who are not familiar, uh, we're talking Hardin, Wyandotte, Marion County area. Uh, uh, it was near Kenton, Upper Sandusky. They're kind of some of the the towns that are a little bit uh, nearby. Bob, can you give us a quick rundown on the background of the wildlife area, what it has to offer? I mean, I when I was there, I think it's about 9,000 acres. 
the wildlife is plentiful. There was three or four bald eagles in the one field one morning, and then the turkeys just walking around everywhere, and coyotes and geese, and it's got all kinds of fun stuff. It, it does. Um, uh, Kildeer is Kildeer Plains Wildlife Area is one of the uh, most unique areas that that I work on, uh, for sure. Uh, it is, as you said, a little over um, 9,200 acres. About 3,000 acres of that 9,200 is wildlife refuge, which means that uh, it is controlled access. And the only way to for anybody to go into that portion of the property uh, is by permit only. Uh, that is the area where we offer all of our controlled hunting opportunities uh, from waterfowl to, to deer um, we and turkey, as, as uh, you guys have mentioned earlier. Um, it was, uh, purchase of the land was uh, started clear back in 1952. Um, and it, through the years, it has become one of the main uh priority areas in the this part of the state uh, for bird watching uh, there's just a tremendous amount of wildlife there and different species there uh, birding is, is extremely popular in addition to all of the um, uh, consumptive wildlife recreational opportunities that that uh, offers so um, so 6,000 a little over 6,000 acres is open access um, so people can go there traverse uh, hunt whatever is in season watch whatever they can come across and the 3,000 acres would be the um, you know access by permit only how much how much of that uh, 6,000 acres would you say is, is wooded because that was one thing I noticed it's it's almost got that marsh feel for a lot of it um, not a ton of huge stands of, of woods but I mean there's some but yeah, it, it's it's a very minimal uh, percentage of the acreage. I think across the entire uh, property, uh, all 9,200 acres, there's probably maybe a, you know 1,000 to 1,500 acres that are wooded. Um, Kilder Plains is primarily managed as a grassland and wetland complex. Uh, it historically was um, a wet prairie area. And that prairie, you know, covered about approximately 30,000 acres historically. So it is home to um, a, a large number of state-listed and some federally-listed um, species of, of wildlife and, and plants. So um, there's a lot of uh, there's some areas where we have the remnant prairies that actually occurred there historically. And uh, so, so yeah, it's it's certainly the forested areas are extremely important, uh, but uh, the primary management of the area is that wetland grassland complex. So, as I mentioned, the uh, one of the things I took away from there, besides I didn't get a turkey, uh, was that there are a lot of deer, and I guess I'm just looking for your kind of opinion. We talked about the CWD. We talked about what the, the wildlife area has to offer. Do you guys have too many deer up there? And I, the reason I ask is because when I was driving in and out in the dark, 
I, I said this on one of the last shows, but it was like uh, Big Buck Hunter. You know that video game where like the deer unrealistically <laughs> just con- continue to jump out? And it was like every 100 yards, it was like, up oh, there's four more. Up oh, there's three more. You know, just constantly again and again and again. And the one morning, I mean, we might have bumped the same ones a few times. I don't know. But I swear we saw 50 deer before 830 in the morning. And I'm sitting there. I'm just like, as a, as a primary primarily a deer hunter i'm supposed to be looking for birds but all i'm watching are these white tails running away um and i'm sitting there thinking man there's a lot of deer here so it's it's almost like no wonder to me that you could maybe have a disease problem but uh also offering these extended hunts and stuff um is that kind of the consensus or was i it was i just an anomaly when i was up there no that that is uh you know majority of people that participate in um opportunities to access the refuge area um, have those comments. Um, we do have a high deer density on the property. Um, and as uh, um, Mike and Clint have, have uh, you know, discussed, um, you know, that extends out to the surrounding properties, uh, private properties as well. So, um, you know, when we started these, controlled deer hunts on the refuge historically, which, um, you know, preceded my, my tenure, uh, with the division. Um, it was, um, designed for some, you know, quality, um, opportunities. And the problem is with all of this is every, everybody's, you know, it's, it's something that's really subjective. What is, um, you know, what is a quality hunt? What is, um, an adequate deer population? Some folks think, uh, you know, adequate is a deer behind every tree and cornstalk. Um, others just, you know, think that if they see something, that's a that's an awesome day. And so it's kind of hard to, um, you know, put a finger on, uh, you know, navigating through this um, this issue, uh, especially you know the chronic wasting disease and targeted removals and whatnot. But um, you know, so, so yeah, I guess to answer your question, uh, we do have a high deer density on the property. We have expanded our controlled hunting opportunities through our uh, lottery drawings. Uh, we have um, archery hunts uh, from the beginning of archery season up till youth gun. Uh, we have, then we change over to our gun hunts. We offer op- um, hunt, hunting opportunities to uh mobility impaired folks, youth, and uh, the general, you know, all applicants, um, anybody who wants to apply. So, um, and we run those hunts clear to the end of the season. Um, Not every day, uh, but, you know, the gun hunts typically occur on Saturdays. So, gives the the deer a little chance to rest in between, um, you know, for the rest of the week and uh, uh, makes the... the, uh, hopefully makes the hunting opportunity a little more productive. But, you know, our goal uh, with these hunts is to expand that opportunity and to, you know, hopefully harvest uh, a greater number of deer than what we have historically in the past. So we're changing over more from um, just a opportunity uh, quality hunt to um, a management hunt and hopefully the participants in that that management hunt perspective will have quality opportunities as well awesome and as far as the the lottery hunts and stuff go that's uh 
stuff that everybody can apply for as they're buying their their license and their tags and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, uh, watch for uh, watch for uh, announcements. Uh, certainly monitor the Division of Wildlife's website, but uh, usually the um, application period is during the month of July. So um, in, in order to apply for those controlled hunts, uh, you would need to log in just like you're going to buy a license and there should be a tab to select for controlled hunts. And then you can select the, those hunts that you would uh, want to participate in. So, but that will be during the month of July. Awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure we uh, we keep everybody up to up to speed on that. Um, hey, Andrew. Yes, sir. It's Clint. Uh, I did want to I did want to mention that you know, yeah, we do have we we there are a lot of deer up there at, at Kildeer, um, but they're believe it or not not as many as there used to be. Um, you saw a lot of deer back in turkey season um that was after hunting season and that was after targeted removals uh so you know in all likelihood that's the lowest the deer population is going to be throughout the whole year um but if i if i'll take you back a couple of years and just give you a rundown of of of, of what we've seen because we've been doing aerial surveys on on the, on the refuge over the last several years um the first year in uh, February 2020, so two two years ago, uh, we counted 300 deer in the refuge. Uh, February 2021, 283. February 2022, just a couple months ago, 186. So these expanded opportunities appear to be result. Oh well, they're obviously resulting in more dead deer. I think we, I think hunters on the control hunts this year killed over well over two hundred deer um, on the refuge. Uh, but those those increased harvests are resulting in 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 a population moving in the direction that we'd like for it to go. That's awesome, and that's great. To, I love the numbers because it really shows you what what's going on. So, Clint, I. You're pretty quiet through most of that, man, but I have to say one of the most uh, intriguing things I've heard so far is that you get to fly around in a helicopter and count deer. I mean, I, I think that sounds like the ultimate profession. Only if I was able to fly the helicopter would it be the ultimate <laughs> profession. <laughs> that takes scouting to a new level, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, It's a lot of fun. Good. Well, gentlemen, if there's anything else that you have to share, uh, if not, we, we really appreciate your time. I, I think this is great to... Uh, you know, from from hunters on the ground across the state, I, we we appreciate you. We appreciate all the work you're putting in and um, to help this herd and keep everything moving in the right direction in the long run. Um, and we look forward to talking to you again someday. Andrew, I do have uh, a, a, a thought that I'd like to share with the group before we close. Um, just a we've been plugging folks all along. Um, you know, <clears throat> the hunters for the work that they've been doing. Um, the, the um, the, the landowners for the access that they've given us, um, clearly the, the work that Bob and his staff and our agency has put forth in, in terms of trying to address these, these uh, large deer numbers. And I also, I, I think it's also worth plugging and because and, we don't get plugged very often. Well, um, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. But I, I want to say 
you know, there's there's a uh, there's a genuine effort on the part of this agency really to address, and I'm and I'm segueing here, but there's there's a, a legitimate effort on the part of this agency to address the deer population in that area, and, and nothing speaks more to that than the steps, not only supporting the the controlled uh, all the controlled hunts, but the, and the postseason removals, but 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 the year that we found 2020 after that season. Uh, the agency did something unprecedented that you may or may not be uh, aware of. And that is they gave folks an opportunity that participated in some of those late season controlled hunts um, to harvest as uh, up to, uh, I believe, four or five additional deer. And those could have been antler deer, could have been booners if they wanted to, just to, uh, um, uh, you know, just to address the, the local deer population. So hats off to them. And, and I'd say, uh, again, my segue here is, is that, um, we, we really, because you, you understand the country, you've traveled there now, you know what it looks like. We bump the deer off the refuge. If they're going to another refuge, you know, we're, we're, sort, of, we're sort of dead in the water in terms of our ability to manage that herd. So, so we really need um, not only landowners to continue to provide access, but we need hunters that are willing to step up um, and, 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 and support the effort by taking maybe an additional deer or four. <laughs> uh, and I know that's a lot to ask, but uh, I think together, uh, together, um, uh, we've got a great plan moving forward and, and together, only together, are we going to be successful. And, and success is not eliminating CWD. Let's be honest, that's not going to happen. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but we can contain it. We can find a way to live with it. Um, we can keep it from moving around to the degree possible if we all decide to work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, have a have a great rest of your day. Uh, enjoy the summer as we uh, we lead up. What do you guys said that we you know we were starting to talk about fall? Well, some of us have already started thinking about fall, like a couple weeks ago when we were out chasing birds and couldn't find them. Then we're ready for deer season to start. So, um, but you guys have a great day. We appreciate your time. See you. Thanks, Thank Andrew. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. See you, Paul. <clears throat>